The Hamlet Podcast, episode 53. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth with me, your host, Connor Hanrity. In the last episode, Malcolm began by questioning Macduff and wondering why he'd left his family behind. Macduff made the case for Scotland's suffering, and Malcolm then hinted that maybe there could be a worse option than the present king while Macduff insisted there's no devil in hell worse than Macbeth. But what is Malcolm getting at? These better-the-devil-you-know-than-the-devil-you-don't hints that he's been dropping are confusing, since we might have been led to believe that Malcolm is the great hope that's safe in England, away from Macbeth's reach. Now Malcolm starts explaining what he means, answering Macduff's insistence on how diabolical Macbeth has been. Malcolm replies, I grant him bloody, luxurious, avaricious, false, deceitful, sudden, malicious, smacking of every sin that has a name, but there's no bottom, none in my voluptuousness. Your wives, your daughters, your matrons and your maids could not fill up this cistern of my lust, and my desire all continent impediments would o'erbear that did oppose my will. Better Macbeth than such a one to reign. Malcolm begins by agreeing that Macbeth is pretty bad. He's bloody for starters. We in the audience know he's killed his way to the top and is now killing women and children. Worse, as Malcolm lists, Macbeth is displaying just about every sin going. He calls him luxurious, which in this context seems to be a synonym for lecherous or lustful. This is a little bit curious to me, since lechery is one of the few sins Macbeth really doesn't seem to commit. But Malcolm is painting in very broad strokes here, so perhaps I shouldn't be too pedantic. In fact, Malcolm seems almost to go through the seven deadly sins in this description, also calling Macbeth avaricious or greedy, false or dishonest, deceitful, sudden, as in impetuous or rash, malicious or cruel, guilty or smacking of every sin that has a name. In quite the most surprising feat of antithesis, perhaps in the whole play, Malcolm has catalogued all of these sins precisely because he wants to juxtapose Macbeth, the root of all evil apparently, with himself, and say that he is actually even worse. He explains that there's no bottom, no limit at all to his voluptuousness. He's got a sexual appetite so wild that all the women of Scotland, apparently, wives, daughters, old women and virgins, are not enough to satisfy him. He describes his lust as a cistern, a large underground reservoir usually used to trap rainwater. It's a big space, and Shakespeare is fond of the image of a cistern as something that cannot be filled. Certainly the image of all these discarded women piled up in such a space is particularly unpleasant. Malcolm is laying it on thick, saying that his desire is so strong that it would overcome all moderating influences. He calls them continent impediments. These would be things like self-control or temperance, sobriety, perhaps even chastity. The word incontinent still means lacking a certain control, but here its opposite has the older meaning of moderation and containing. 
but Malcolm wants none of it. His lust is out of control, and he doesn't seem to care. But he does suggest that the all-sinning Macbeth would be better on the throne than someone like him. Macduff's answer to this is quite surprising. Boundless intemperance in nature is a tyranny. It hath been the untimely emptying of the happy throne and fall of many kings. But fear not yet to take upon you what is yours. You may convey your pleasures in a spacious plenty, and yet seem cold. The time you may so hoodwink. We have willing dames enough. There cannot be that vulture in you to devour so many as will to greatness dedicate themselves, finding it so inclined. They've already been discussing the tyrant Macbeth, and now Macduff points out that uncontrolled desires like Malcolm describes, boundless intemperance, is a kind of tyranny in one's own nature. And, he says, it has led to the downfall of many reigns, the untimely emptying of the happy throne and the fall of many kings. There's not much arguing with this, but what Macduff says next is surprising. He says that Malcolm should not be so fast to give up the idea of claiming his right to the throne. Fear not yet to take upon you what is yours. Very cynically, Macduff suggests that Malcolm can still satisfy these rampant desires in secret, There'll be plenty of room to do so, and yet seem cold and therefore virtuous. We've had many hints and references to hoodwinking and such behaviours in the play already, and now Macduff comes right out and uses the verb itself, the time you may so hoodwink. Malcolm's carnal desires can probably be hidden from the public and shouldn't prevent him from ousting Macbeth. Macduff curiously insists that we have willing dames enough. Malcolm's lust, the vulture in him, can't be so insatiable that they'll run out of women for him. Not least since there will always be women inclined to, as Macduff rather brutally puts it, dedicate themselves to greatness. Macduff really wants Macbeth gone, and is clearly prepared to suffer and enable a sex drive worse than Caligula to get Malcolm on the throne. It's very misogynistic, no matter how desperate he is to save Scotland. Perhaps Malcolm is surprised by this because he has to up his ante again. He continues blackening his own name as follows. With this there grows in my most ill-composed affection such a stanchless avarice that, were I king, I should cut off the nobles for their lands, desire his jewels and this other's house, and my more having would be as a sauce to make me hunger more, that I should forge quarrels unjust against the good and loyal, destroying them for wealth. As if the lust weren't enough, there's also the matter of Malcolm's greed. He insists that his avarice, greed, is stanchless or limitless. If he were king, he says, he would rob from everyone. He'll steal lands and jewels and houses from the Scottish nobility, and the more he gets, the more he'll want. His ill-gotten gains will be like a sauce, creating even more hunger. It'll make him so greedy that he'll start unnecessary quarrels and fights with people who've been nothing but good and loyal, just so he can destroy them for their wealth. Were I king, 
I should cut off the nobles for their lands, desire his jewels and this other's house, and my more having would be as a sauce to make me hunger more, that I should forge quarrels unjust against the good and loyal, destroying them for wealth. By now, Macduff surely should be wondering what the deal is with this craven young man. For starters, I'd be wondering if he really had killed his father. But Macduff is steadfast, determined for the Scottish cause. He answers that this avarice sticks deeper, grows with more pernicious root than summer seeming lust, and it hath been the sword of our slain kings. Yet do not fear. Scotland hath foisons to fill up your will of your mere own. All these are portable, with other graces weighed. Macduff acknowledges that this avarice, this apparently murderous greed, is more of a problem than Malcolm's other desires. It sticks deeper and grows with a more pernicious or dangerous root than summer-seeming lust. Summer-seeming is a great description, since, as Macduff imagines it, it will be hot, but it surely won't last forever. Summer, as all seasons, must end. Greed's roots are more dangerous and certainly last longer. Greed has been the sword that slayed many Scottish kings. In this speech from Macduff, Shakespeare is almost quoting Holinshed, his primary source for so much of the play. Holinshed has Macduff tell Malcolm that avarice is the root of all mischief. Easy to spot the echo there. Holinshed's Macduff also says that for that crime, the most part of our kings have been slain. Shakespeare is rather more poetic, calling avarice the sword of our slain kings. But he's using the same language, and again, there's a strong echo there. Yet do not fear, Macduff still insists, Scotland has enough resources or foisons to satisfy Malcolm's greed. Macduff really seems happy to give Malcolm whatever he wants. All of it can be his, he's saying. His lust and his avarice, all of these are manageable or portable, when compared with the good graces that Malcolm will bring to the throne. But Malcolm replies, But I have none. The king becoming graces as justice, verity, temperance, stableness, bounty, perseverance, mercy, lowliness, devotion, patience, courage, fortitude, I have no relish of them, but abound in the division of each several crime, acting it many ways. Nay, had I power, I should pour the sweet milk of concord into hell, uproar the universal peace, confound all unity on earth. Macduff suggested that Malcolm's graces might balance with his admitted vices, but now Malcolm is telling us that he has none. And lest there be any doubt, he lists all the decent qualities that would be becoming of a king. King becoming here means things appropriate for a king to have and to demonstrate. These graces or qualities are justice, verity or truthfulness, temperance or self-control, stableness, bounty or perhaps generosity, perseverance, mercy, lowliness or humility, devotion, patience, courage and fortitude or bravery. A heroic king would certainly display all of these at some point or another, but Malcolm is saying he's got none of these, and worse, he has no interest or relish in them either. 
Instead, he's far more interested in sin and crimes, and commits them in many different ways. I abound in the division of each several crime, acting it in many ways. And worse, if he had power, and Macduff is talking about giving him a lot of power, he would take the sweet milk of peace and dump it into hell. We've already had instances of milk and goodness and kindness being overcome by ambition and ruthlessness. These echoes of what we've heard earlier in the play are pretty effective here. Malcolm is saying he would wreck all peace and end all harmony on earth. He's really laying it on thick. On the subject of harmony, it's worth mentioning an extra bit of wordplay that's woven into the language of the scene here. Macduff raised the idea of graces, and this actually has a musical connotation as well as the virtues he hopes to see in the would-be king. Concord is a musical term, the idea of sounds that play in harmony, or even unity. Each of these has its own division of the music to play, and they play their chords together. On top of that, there's musical ornamentation, or graces, to make things sound even sweeter. Malcolm takes Macduff's mention of graces, virtues, and makes a very impressive image of how he will not only ignore graces because he has none, but shows that he will focus only on division and pour the sweet milk of Concord into hell. Thanks to a quick dip into the rather wonderful Arden Dictionary of Music in Shakespeare, I can tell you that our playwright is very fond of this image, and had already used something similar in The Merchant of Venice. In that play he has Lorenzo explain that the man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Here it seems Malcolm is rather similar. He's rejecting grace and music, and threatens to pour the sweet milk of concord, rather than its sweet music, into hell. So clearly he doesn't want us to trust him at all. Poor Macduff is dismayed by now, crying, Oh, Scotland, Scotland! But Malcolm does have a scheme underway, and he's obviously leading up to something. He isn't quite there yet, but we're going to have to hold off here and let him reach his point in the next episode. In the meantime, I hope you're very well and enjoying these lovely days of September's seeming summer. I want to say a big thank you to those of you who've reached out to say that you enjoyed the recent episode I made at Elsinore. I'm delighted you liked it. And if you haven't heard it yet, do give it a listen. It was a very enjoyable end to the Hamlet portion of these events. Have a listen, have a look at that splendid musical dictionary if you can get your hands on it, and I'll speak to you next time.